Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 93, Ashley Smith O'Mara, part three. How you guys doing? I'm doing all right. I'm actually doing really well, and like I've been ashamed almost to say how well I'm doing because so many people aren't doing well right now, but I am. I'm happy. Having a good time. I've been enjoying many facets of my life that I haven't enjoyed in a long time. Partly, I think I actually shocked my system in a tantric fashion not so long ago. I won't go into details, but I uh, I stepped out of the I stepped out of the world I usually live in and went into another dimension, a dimension that exists alongside all of us in this city all the time. And I I went into that world and that to that parallel dimension that lower resonance and I hung out with the denizens of that world and I lived as they do and did as they do and do what it did and did what it do and spent about four or five days out there and I came back with new eyes and I was looking around at what I have and what I've accomplished and and just feeling gratitude for so many things and there have been new people in my life that I'm really enjoying and new projects and all kinds of stuff. And um, I'm also, God, I'm, I'm wishing this for everyone else because what I see around me right now is that an incredible amount of effort has been put into making half of the country extremely hysterical. And there are the same old legitimate things between the left and the right going on but this shit has been elevated to a level that you know has people foaming at the fucking mouth it has people even in a goddamn city council election fucking mayor of richmond got people taking fucking election signs off of people's lawn and throwing them in the fucking trash i mean that's that's new territory for me as a 50 year old dude I've been going around this city, I've been going around this country a while, and I've never seen an election where the people that I usually align myself with go to these kinds of fucking lengths. Because they don't like somebody. They have anything to do with her policies. They don't know anything about her. They just know that she said something they didn't like, which was accurate. That not all it's not all protesters, but there are people out with the protesters that they're fucking shit up. And if you're doing that shit, you're not any better than what you're fighting. That's a fucking fact. I'm sorry you're too infantile to understand that. But when you concoct an excuse to bypass fucking civilization and the legal process and, and say that the behavior of someone else justifies you to behave that way, you've lost. You've lost me. You've lost your moral high ground. You've lost your position. You've lost the legs that you're standing on. You're full of shit now to me. I don't give a shit what your values are and how close they align with me. If that's the way that you behave, I'm not on your side. I'm not on the side of that shit, period. I don't give a fuck who knows it. I'm, I'm you know, I'm frustrated and angry about this. And and one of the main reasons I am is that the, the level of fear that has been stoked that we're living in fucking end times, that, that our president is a racist and a fascist and a Nazi and all this shit. And, and by the way, if he was a racist, he might as well just come out and say it because everyone says that people who vote for him must be racist too, right? So if he just comes out and says it, how's it going to damage his standing? 
all, if supposedly everyone on that side under, under Trump is a racist, then if he says he's a racist, they're all going to love him. So clearly the man may not be if he's going out of his way to say he isn't because he's really not. He's got nothing to gain from saying that he isn't because if this is the is this the the policy he occupies the ideology he occupies is racist then he's going to win supporters by saying he's a racist because they're him too right right so there's such a level of fear this is the kind of thing where you know you you are afraid of something happening so you make these certain choices and then you manifest it and right now what i see is the left is manifesting their worst fucking nightmare and fears because if you keep fucking pulling at the threads of the stability of society it is you're going to beg a fucking crackdown the crackdown wasn't there you begged it you asked for it you're drawing this into existence you are manifesting it that's what i see it's not about ideology it's about behavior and this is insane behavior that i'm witnessing truly insane can't get behind it okay so uh i listen a little snippet of this next hour with ashley and um i think we're getting into some of how people that are frustrated aren't even trying to find out what their alternatives are what policies already exist to address the inequities of coming into this world as a poor person coming into this world in the legacy of racism it's no longer systemic racism. There was systemic policies that were overtly racist, and there were systemic policies that had the end effect of being racist. For instance, redlining. You know, the reason redlining existed, it was part of the Federal Housing Administration, which we talk about in the beginning of this podcast, which was created under, um, what's his name? Fuck. God damn it. Roosevelt. New Deal era. And redlining was about where you where banks were able to loan money. And again, the byproduct of this was racist because it ultimately the people that were the greatest risk you didn't want to loan money to, and they happened to most of them happened to be black. But the reason that this existed is that after the depression, the federal government created the FDIC and other programs to bail out the people who have put their money in banks if the banks fail, but they created regulations on the banks so that the banks couldn't loan money, they couldn't make risks if they were gonna have to be backed up by the federal government, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC. If you're gonna be backed up by that, then you have to assume less risk. You have to be riskier, less risky in your behavior. So redlining was part of that, okay? Nobody sat up in Washington and said, let's fuck the black people by not loaning the money. The, the federal government said, banks, you can't loan money in these certain areas because you're probably not going to get it back. And we can't assume that risk and we can't bail you out if that risk happens. But, you know, the end result was that it was it, it affected a race of people or a breeding population of people who happen to be black. I contend to think, and I've been saying this for a long time, there's only one race. Okay. But there are people who are discriminated against in, within the human race because of the color of their skin and the cultures and their beliefs and the sexuality that has chosen them but there's none of this the we now have policy to protect people based on race gender and uh, belief and not just gender but sexual orientation that is it is systemic not to discriminate against such people it's law you can't 
do that. Federal law. Okay, so we don't have systemic racism. We, but we do, have, we do have the echoes of that. We have the results of that. We have what's left of that. But many things have been created to help people, and people don't even know about them. They don't choose them. They don't educate themselves. They don't go that route at all. You know, and, and, and because they don't know, they say it doesn't exist. But a lot has been done in this country to help people take care of their needs. But society is not responsible for your wants. Because we all pay taxes and we all agree to be American citizens, then the contract is, is that by us paying taxes, the city, state, and federal government helps to ensure that our needs are met. And if you can't buy a house in Churchill or the fan, that's not a need, that's a want. Okay? You can buy a house in a neighborhood like the one where I bought a house, and I talked about this in the last podcast. I have done so, and I'm not rich, and I put no money down on it. I borrowed money from the FHA in this neighborhood to buy a house, which anyone can do if they have good credit, and you only have to have better than a 630. So I would say anybody that's you know worried about their financial future, the first thing you should do is fix your credit. Pay that shit off. Okay, so this isn't very, I don't know, tantric kind of conversation stuff to talk about now or maybe it is because the actions you take the responsibility you take for yourself these are spiritual pursuits because and my reason for pursuing them is to not be a problem for anybody else to not be a burden on anybody else to not need somebody else's money like my parents or anyone else to get by and to not to cause other people problems I'm trying to be you know responsible for my shit and when I started being responsible for my shit it was amazing the things that changed and I know I maybe I sound like a broken record and I need to start taking notes on what I've already talked about but you know what fuck it this is how it go and I just fly off the top of my head when I start talking but uh, this is a great conversation and I really uh, like I said many times in the last two podcasts love talking to Ashley I love what a kind thoughtful and intelligent person she is and who is not driven to anger and hate and resentment towards people who don't agree with her. She would much rather convince them, and I love that. So let's uh, segue on into that now. It costs a lot of money to live, so they're in their little bubble of survival, trying to make enough money to live and pay for all the shit that they want to consume, like alcohol and food in the city of Richmond, because that's what Richmond's turned these into. Are, a lot of these are students. A lot say, of them right? are students, but a lot of yeah. them are young adults, too, who have recently graduated and find it hip and cool to be, you know, in a hip and cool neighborhood, like half and, you know, not half, but, you know, there's still some boarded up buildings, so you've got that, you know, kind of culture still there right but then you've also got the arts district and you're close to vcu so you've got the young energy and you're close to bars and breweries so you're kind of you're like right there you're like on the verge of like all different types of of you're gonna pay a lot of money to live there i mean it's crazy (laughs) a house three doors down sold for sixty five thousand dollars in 2012 and they're renting it for two thousand five hundred dollars yeah. You know, and so and so and the ironically these are the the neighbors that have colonizer and like when I was first beefing with them, you know, maybe my third or fourth conversation with them was like, "Look guys, I know it's really hard to respect the neighborhood when you're getting, you know, totally bamboozled by your landlord and I'm just a terrible landlord, but like, come on, get it together." And so I think there's like this lack of respect right, you because you can feel like they they pay to play. You know, right. they pay to play. And now that they're in it, it's like, okay, I don't, I don't need to really be aware. I don't need to take my trash can off the sidewalk. I don't need to like put my trash in the trash can. I'm paying for this. Right. You know, I don't need to cut my grass, 
religiously. I don't need to park so that I'm not taking up three spots in my parking, you know. I mean, obviously I'm exaggerating there, but take up a, a spot and a half. Um, I don't need to acknowledge neighbors walking down the street. It's like, it's it's such a weird thing. And I have to say, like, after experiencing what we experienced last weekend, people are looking up. They're saying hi. Mm-hmm. We're exchanging phone numbers. It's something that I've never experienced since the gentrification movement started. Right. And and so it's kind of refreshing where it's kind of been a wake up call. Like, hello guys. Like you know, we're we're all here together. If that's you need one of those labels. I mean, and that's a really awesome, like, you know, thing to observe. And I think a, a, a generous way of assessing it. And like, I didn't care. Like, I've always been community minded because of what my experience was in Churchill that like there were people in the neighborhood that were going to prey on my family and me and then there were people in the neighborhood that were watching out Mm -hmm. and they watched out because you know we had a relationship Mm -hmm. with them we treated them like neighbors they treated us like neighbors we were family you know as opposed to rolling in there like the way people move into Churchill now, which is the same way as Jackson Ward. Like, I paid a lot of money for this house. Mine, you get out of my way. Right. You know, and this dude lives behind my parents now who owns this one of those gigantic Dodge pickup trucks, you know, and he's constantly parking it oh in the little gosh. the little sidewalk strip where my mom, who can Seriously. barely, you know, walk, needs that little strip oh that comes gosh. off the street. You know, when she parks her car, she needs to be able to walk right. up that thing. And we're in this little, always in this little hostility with that guy because so he's like you know paid a lot of money for this house I'm doing right you know right it's and that entitlement man yeah which is the ego right, right. i me i i right. instead of like oh if i park here i'm gonna block them right you know it's like and i've been having to negotiate that since i moved in this neighborhood even though i have no i'm no stranger to, like i grew up like you know i wanted churchill i didn't my parents didn't put anything in my head about anything you know, my, they were just like, my dad was a working class guy and he like, he bought a house and he took care of it, mm-hmm. you know, and we weren't trying to flip that house. My right. parents have been in that house for 52 years, yeah. you know, right. it's not, there wasn't any gentrification going on. There was just, we want to live in this neighborhood and they had no desire to change the neighborhood mm-hmm. by moving into it. In fact, they didn't even really know what they were moving into. I got to find out, right. you know, by going out and playing. <laughs> in, the, in the neighborhood sure. but and reporting back hey mom hey dad <laughs> yeah and you know they didn't i mean to their credit like they never put any ideas in my head sure bef- like in advance of my own experience yeah, like i beautiful. went out and had my own experience and i and like and somehow they must have known they didn't have any experience to impart because they did not grow up like that yeah. you know but i wanted churchill to have like there were all of these old storefronts there and we had maybe one convenience store on that's now captain buzzy's mm-hmm. beanery it's mm-hmm. called something else now right, but right. and then what is now anthony's on the hill was the mm-hmm. Shimborazo market and what is now the um uh hill cafe was mm-hmm. a place called the rendezvous which had like blacked out windows it looked like some 70s oh like you know old man bar they actually had an ABC on-off license, so they sold, like, Wild Irish Rose and bum wine. Like, you'd go in there and drink it, or you could get it to go. Yeah. And those places were grandfathered in, and, like, you know, nobody else could open any kind of business mm-hmm. in Churchill. It was 100% zoned re- residential with wow. the exception of those grandfathered things. And I was like, 
after I visited New York and stuff, I was like, I mean, I want Churchill to have the shops and right. the stores and the coffee shop and all of that, just like an urban. I want it to be like the fan. Like, why can't we have all that? Now we got that. I'm like, ah. <laughs> like right. I, I don't want to, you know, I go, I'm like, these people is sub rosa, man. Like, I can't even go in here and get a croissant, you know, because it's like there's all these people that were scared of this neighborhood. They're in my way, you know, like they it's a just weird, inv- weird thing. Yeah, yeah, be careful what you wish, wish for, I for guess. Sure. And sure. like now that I'm here and I, I bought this house, like I don't I want my investment to pan out. This is also where I live. I'm part of this community. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do really try to, re- you know, I try to learn from my experience and like be a part of this community, not like, you know, I cut my grass for the good of the community. Mm-hmm. Like I had my. My, um, somebody came over and landscaped my front yard and I did that to help somebody make money during the pandemic and I also did it because I want to add some beauty sure. to the neighborhood. I didn't really do it for myself. I don't really care if I have those flowers out there or not. You know, I just, I, I started running around the neighborhood during the quarantine uh-huh. and I was like, look, this person's done all of this nice stuff and look what that does for the block. Yeah. And look, So I started going, okay, I need to create that sure. to put out in to the neighborhood but I, I understand the converse but like you know that's what we're encouraged to do is like look out for our investment and like right. you know fuck all of y'all around me you know and like we really if this thing is going to work this like maybe we don't need as much police then we really have to police ourselves yeah. and by that I mean we all have to like you know look out for each other mm-hmm. and we also have to like you know, take care of our, whether we're renting it or whether we own it, we have to take care of it so that, you know, we're all, we, we're connected. We're mm-hmm. a unit and we're all looking out for the, the limbs of the body. And it's almost and like, you know, going on a with our, no, you're fine. It's almost like with, with what we've got in place now, it fosters the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, it fosters just caring about one's, personal desires and property and also conveniences and not the communal you know and because oh worst case scenario we can call the cops on them right. their music's too loud man right. those dumbasses i'm gonna call the cops on them right you know and uh yeah i mean it's it, it's like conversations need to be fostered uh you know conflict resolution needs to be practiced mm-hmm. Um, we need to practice mutual it. respect let's not, needs to happen let's take out the passive construction yeah. which you know which is we people are always saying that this needs to be done that needs to be i need to do that right for sure i for sure. need to foster community Th- this morning, i need to have conversations. yeah you know I, and yeah. i i've learned from the elders in my neighborhood who most of them are no longer there sadly but you know i had this one neighbor vaughn who would come outside every day elderly man came outside every day and would sweep the front of his house every day Every single day, I'd see him out there, and I'd be like, well, shit, I guess that's what I'm supposed to right. do. So till this day, I sweep out there. I mean, no one else does because those are a lot of those homes are rented, and it's so frustrating, but I go out there. And I shouldn't say nobody else. The majority do not. Um, I go out there, and I sweep, and I pull the weeds, and even though my kid's like, mom, mom, and you know, I've got things I could be doing, that is part of my way of showing love and respect love good word and concern for my neighborhood and Mm -hmm. again i know that i wasn't told ashley this is what you have to do you know the city didn't come and say ashley you got to do this 
the police didn't come say, Ashley, you got to do this. Right. I watched others. And I said, man, that's a nice touch. That's showing and love so we, and we respect. have to have faith that we can all be that way sure. instead of operate on fear that it's worth having cops because we can't trust that other people can be that way. Or you city know, officials we've gotta who have come faith. cite you for not having this or that done, you know? I mean, But we also can't have this fucking call-out culture where everybody's going to shame each other. Like, it's got to be a positive example. Sure. Again, not a negative thing, because that's just as bad as the cops. Yeah. Like, me being policed by Facebook or my, you know, social media is as bad, oh, you know, yeah. and a lot. It's not as bad, because nobody's going to kill me. Right. But, like, you know... Yeah, I mean, I'm so. I, I want the that Facebook thing. I want what you like. Everybody setting a good example, and and each one teach one. You sure. know, is an old thing. Absolutely. And you know, being the change that you want to see, and all of that. Um, and I see a you know a very powerful love movement, but I also see a very powerful orthodoxy movement where people are saying that's not being inclusive. You know, like you know, because we you'd need to include the majority because the numbers really don't add up if you don't mm. you know like we've really got to get a lot of human beings on and you can't get people on your side if you're telling them they suck right and if you're shaming them into shit right. and i know i've been having this conversation or this argument i guess with people for a long time where they're like fuck them they're wrong right <laughs> yeah you know they just totally shut down and you don't have that conversation and you know i mean i think i think it's almost like um a protection for themselves like it's maybe easier they've had a trauma <laughs> and they you know they've been traumatized from that type of dialogue in the past and so instead of like opening oneself back up to that they just shut down like eh, that's it but then don't engage you know and i mean that's I where i'm know. at on, just, on social media yeah. like i mean if i can put a message of love out there when it occurs to me that's what i'm doing sure. but when i see something i disagree with i just don't even wade into right. it because First of all, that's that destructive energy usage. Yeah. Right? Like what? Who does it benefit? Nobody cares. Honestly, Curtis, nobody cares what you or I think if we disagree. If if we agree, everybody loves an atta boy and an atta girl. So, I, you know, I just resort to all of my messages now. You know, if, if it's somebody who's in a perceived ally, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't even go in depth. And then if it's somebody who I don't agree with, honestly, I just don't give them the time of day because that's that's what they're putting out there i don't need to respond to it we don't have to we have this like weird i don't know this weird need to like react to everything well we don't it's have being to react. right it's about being right okay and th and then i've done a lot of work on this and looked at this a lot yeah. of myself and i will say for me that behind being right is a fear of being wrong mm. you know and behind it is a fear that i've got it all wrong you know that 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 i'm actually crazy even you know that like i'm too, i'm not sane you know right. like ultimately that's the the gut fear behind it is that like my assessment what i've my interpretation what i've come up with is is wrong and i'm wrong then and therefore i'm i need to go i need to be expelled like i don't belong right and i think if you were able to boil everyone down to why they get so fiercely defensive of their opinion <laughs> like that and and like they're having the physiological experience of fight or flight mm -hmm. while they're doing it right. is that there's some part of them saying if you're wrong you're gonna die like it, the ego is saying that the not ego, some part exactly. the ego is saying yeah. hey i've been i've told you this right because right? i'm trying to figure this out for you you know so that you can survive 
and like and like your ego has rightfully sort of like this face hugger an alien it's like stuck its tendrils down your throat and and when you question what the egos come up with it feels like you're pulling this thing out of you that's going to kill you but you actually need to kill that to some degree and you need to kill the identification with it but you know? we, we have been shaped like that if you look at our educational system we, we take were, tests. We take. Wait, hold on. Let me see. Okay. We take our. We take our scantron tests. We take our. Right. Whatever. To be tests, Americans, we've been and, indoctrinated. Right. To and be you, you're yeah. either your answer is either answer right, right or, or wrong. wrong. Right. And if you're wrong, you fail. Right. Boom. If you're wrong, that's. It starts from school. Right. From education. But it probably starts a lot farther back than that. Like, if you make the wrong call about this animal in nature, you die. You know, like sure. you literally do. Like if sure. you if you decide that that lion is friendly and it eats you, well, then, you know, like there's there are a lot of situations where it's a this or that. Right. There is a duality right. to it. So we are most primitive level. We're applying that duality to everything because we think it's all life or death. And it's actually not life or death to right. it's life or death to our ego. It's not life or death to our being. But we, you know, you're exactly right, but it goes farther. Sure. You know, it, it goes much farther back. It's that's why there are all of these disciplines to give us the ability to question. But as we evolve, <laughs> we should be able to address it. You know what I'm saying? Like just because it was a primitive mindset, shouldn't we shouldn't allow that to manifest now? But well, we, we allow it to manifest. It. You have to teach Sophia everything. She comes into this world, 150, 250 thousand year old organism. And then you got to teach her the values of modern humans. And, like we and don't. Yet we still have differing opinions <laughs> on a right. lot of things, which is so funny. You already have I'm, your own ideas. I mean, yeah, it's there. it's it's really in Cleve and I, my boyfriend and I, we were just talking about this the other day. Is that her father? Yeah, that yeah. is. And it's like it's so funny because you know I'm such a all accepting, like you know anything goes, like you know kind of person and yet Sophie will come and be like well why this or why that and I'm not saying she's not all you know accepting but it's like it's not coming from the home as to you know things need to be this way you know I'm like things can be every way and yet she'll come to me and be like but why didn't they do it this way why isn't something this way and I'm like where is she picking this up from that like you know it's a deep knowledge yeah that, like it's, there's it's, there's reasons why we grab it i mean it, they you know the arguments go back and forth nurture or nature right, you know right, like exactly. who and i think it's a little bit of both but that thing that you said earlier about your your warrior spirit mm -hmm. i mean that's obviously why Right. Why do I go along with this? You know, mm -hmm. I had the same thing. I don't get to romantic. I don't feel like I romantically get to call it warrior spirit. I called it rebel <laughs> spirit. Sure. My what are you rebelling against? Since the Marlon Brando from the Wild One. Yeah. What you got? Yeah. You know, I didn't take anything for granted, mm -hmm. and like I, I questioned every single thing I was taught. Everything, you know, that my parents, the school, everybody tried to indoctrinate me mm -hmm. with, and. And I found my own way. And then I came back around to going, oh, I threw the baby out with the bathwater. Some of that stuff they were trying to tell me was valuable. Sure. You know, and I had to learn it. But we, I think all humans have to, we all have to rebel against the basic template. Sure. Because the basic template there is to hold the tribe together, mm -hmm. you know. And that's my opinion. Okay, I don't want to say this like I'm, I'm right. Okay, mm -hmm. the way it looks to me is that there are certain people that go along with the status quo mm -hmm. and the, good, they're the drones, okay? And that's not a bad thing, that's just, that's their role 
in all of our societies. There are people who gladly, they say, tell me what to do, I'll do it. You know, and they go out there and they pick up, they pull yams out of the ground and they fucking cook them for everybody. Mm -hmm. And like, thank you for that. You know, we got to the ability where we learned how to find yams in the ground because there were the other kind of people mm -hmm. that say, I don't, I'm not going along with this. I got to find something else. I got to come up with another idea. Right. And most of us don't fit in real well with the people who are good at just taking direction, mm -hmm. you know. So we almost, we have to often, like I think, we lived and removed from the tribe. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're shaman, you know. Yeah. And like our brain is giving us new ideas and questioning and blah, blah, blah all the time. And for the rest of the people, we're kind of crazy, right. you know. Mm -hmm. But when they hit, run out of yams, <laughs> they right. come to the shaman and they say, we need a solution. And the shaman, who is not conditioned by the daily acquisition of yams from the ground, mm -hmm. who has his thinking is very lateral and you know organic and whatever says i got there i got an idea let's try this instead and i think those two forces within people you know like some of us have more of the get the job done mm -hmm. drive and some of us have the what's the next thing mm -hmm. you know and you know we need both of those things and that's really what's behind rebellion yes absolutely question everything question the status For quo sure. but i think one thing that seems apparent to me at 50 is that the 20 year olds don't uh, don't appreciate how hard it was to find the yams in the first place mm -hmm. and now they just don't want to eat yams anymore mm -hmm. you know right, right. <laughs> and yeah. and like i i value that passion but i do see why older people were trying to check me when i was like 21 is like i'm like it's all got to go right you know well then how do we get yams right now like we still need that, yeah, yeah. You know, there's aspects of it. The you know the baby in the bathwater. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people recognize how valuable the this some of this status quo is to keeping all of these diverse humans and cooperating mm -hmm. to some degree, to right. the degree that we do. You know, as diverse as this country is, and as I mean, we talk about it not being diverse, but it's very fucking diverse. Right. You know, it's economically diverse. It's culturally diverse. It, it's always I mean, it's has diverse, been, but you have to also recognize that a lot of this diversity is also pocketed. You know, it's yeah. not it's not like, oh, I live in Richmond, Virginia, and my neighbors are every single race. No, the Latinos are on South Side, you know, white people here, black people here is it's still very pocketed. And there's I feel definitely like, it's like that yeah. pretty much anywhere. I mean, really anywhere. People self sort into those things for various reasons. Yeah, you for know? sure. For sure. So we talk about diversity, but yet we still have all these little micro communities. But then what do we mean by diversity? You know, because like in order for a city to to have a tax base, we need mm -hmm. economic diversity. Right. Because we can't the state gets its money from people. Right. You know, so if there aren't any people in the city paying that have money, they're paying taxes. Where does the city get the money for the schools, the roads, the services? Mm -hmm. You know, generally what the solution has been to tax the F out of the restaurants so yeah. that when the white people come in from Chesterfield and Henrico to party, right. they pay taxes right. <laughs> basically to the city of Richmond because mm -hmm. they, they don't pay them any other kind of way mm -hmm. but then that ends up affecting the people who are already paying taxes in the city of richmond and business owners but you know it's i'll tell you i'll tell you one very clear source of revenue that the city is dropping the ball on right now if you want to <laughs> answer that question is 
is the real estate, you know? And I mean, I'm not saying tax us more as residents who live in our home, but we've got Dobrin, you know, who's who's a conglomerate of, you know, they have a whole bunch Dobrin. of Dobrin. They target VCU students, for mm-hmm. example, and um, and they'll buy houses for under $200,000 and the cheapest they'll rent it out is 2000 You know, they've got, I've got at least a dozen houses I could tell you, screenshot on my phone, where they have purchased the home for under $165,000 and are, and are charging at least $2,000 a month in rents. And yet the city has these homes assessed for $120,000, $130,000. They need, our city needs yeah, to be matching because these are, these are people who are spending their money here. Okay? Well, they, they need to come up with a specific thing because when they raise the personal property taxes on everybody, then you got low-income people who've owned their house like for 50 years that get driven out of the neighborhood. Sure. So what know? I'm trying to say is the the rents needs to match up with the actual the value, value, right? So we need rent control. Up. We need rent stabilization. We need that rents, kind of thing. I mean, thing. sure. Or if if a house is being uh, rented out for two thousand five hundred dollars, then fucking assess it for a mortgage that would be. $2,500 The problem is, is that, that all of, I mean, and that sounds like a good solution, except that the thing is they're all, it's all interconnected. Like, there wouldn't be any hostility to gentrification if property values didn't go up as a result of that. And then people get driven out of the neighborhoods. So if they would protect the people that have been there, you know, give them like either like the, I guess the tax version of like rent stabilization or rent control. Sure. So that their rent, that nothing changes for them. The thing is, is that yet their property has become more valuable right. <laughs> as a result. So right. the way it's set up is that you pay taxes on potential money that you could make. But I'm saying right? is we're subsidizing, you know, so much because our city won't come in and fairly assess these homes that for years are being. That's because it would get you and me too. And like I don't think so though because because it's all been happening to my dad for the last fifty years. You well, know? but that would probably be based on actual sales. I don't because he bought his house for twenty thousand dollars. Sure, but I, it I is mean, worth a half a million dollars well, now. But see, you're, you're, yeah. but who is who is renting a half a million dollar house? Are people really? Is there a strong rental market for half a million dollar homes? Well, not not the whole house, but yeah, I mean like. I mean, see, the thing is, his he didn't do anything different, right? He moved into that neighborhood in 1972. Right. He fixed his house up for his family to live in, and he took care of it because it represented an investment. Now, a bunch of people also did that over a period of time, and then suddenly Churchill becomes a place where the v- property value is now elevated because of all the people who who did that right and 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 then it the brand changes sure you know i guess i so, want to make clear the differentiation between residential right and investment property right and i think the investment properties need to have their tax well they, they specifically value. need to drill down on those people and say if you're going to rent this if you're buying this just to rent it then you've got to pay a lot more. <laughs> well, know? yeah, because they're valuing but the, the house. But the laws aren't set up the, that way. The, invest, you know, the just... investment properties, the investment companies are valuing that house at, uh, what is a $2,500 rent? What, what does that payment translate if you have a 30-year mortgage? Probably, oh, probably half a million. Like, I mean... Oh, 2500 is probably almost a half a million dollar house if you have a 30-year oh, loan. Oh, you're talking about the, the rent going to, you know, if, if you 
compared the rent right. to a mortgage. Right, right. exactly. Right. So so if if you're charging $2,500 for a house and you're getting that regularly, that's the market rental value for that house. And right. the city's assessing $160,000 assessment value well, on that house. Well, and they keep raising those assessments, but there's resistance to them raising the assessment. But they're, they're, they're assessing the wrong ones. They're assessing your dad's house, my house, Right, because they don't house. do it by they're house. They're not doing the investment property. Right. That's what I'm saying. They need to tar- It's not hard to figure out which right. homes are the investment well, the, the, properties. We need to adva- advance that as a... Uh, Thing before city council because uh, they keep you know Lavar's whole plan is like to me it's like how has that not how like hello we know VCU has infiltrated the city I don't I mean we were talking about well this let, earlier. let's say something fair for to VCU no I think I was going to say they're good it's good and bad well if it weren't for VCU we wouldn't well, have we the have. well we wouldn't have had what we just have right now sure this movement going on in going up and down Monument Avenue those are all like I'd say well, 75% of those are that, VCU a, students a that have come in here and said, what are these statues doing here? Why are, it's not just, you know, they're like really questioning a sure. thing that we all took for granted. Right. Like, you know, completely ignored those things. Like they weren't, I never heard anybody talk about them. And I, it's not like I was cut off from the, the people that would have a problem with them. Right. It just wasn't a subject of conversation until the people came to this city to go to VCU. Exactly. So it's, it's drawing people in here who then look around and say, right. What the fuck? Absolutely. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, that's, that's definitely what I was alluding I mean, to. VCU's done a lot for the culture, but it, 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 sure. it, but it needs to pay more for, you know, what it's, what yeah. it's getting. Well, they, yeah. they can, you know, they have a lot of sway and a lot of clout and a lot of dominance over what happens in this city. And, you know, good for them. They've they've earned that. Well, they came sure. in when nobody else cared. Yeah, like they they've invested. Philomaris in left, Reynolds left, everybody that supported the tobacco industry left. Right. So there's no manufacturing in Richmond. Where the fuck is everybody supposed to work? Right. You got all these people that used to work for the tobacco industry that still live here. You know, we could have. You know, we did wind up like Flint, yeah. practically, or someplace like that. Yeah. You, again, cities can't do shit if they don't have a tax base. Sure. And they don't have a tax base if people aren't making any money because there's no businesses here for them to work for. But this is where I see, at least in my neighborhood, again, the issue is, for example, I'll give you another example. Uh, There is a a commercial property that was up for sale, sold maybe four years ago now for $250,000. Less than 12 months later, it's been empty for four, at least four years. Since, since this original sale I'm mentioning, when it sold for like $250,000, it's been empty. Less than 12 months later, it goes on the market for $450,000. Sells. Four years later, we're still, it's still an empty property. Right. And so it's like, it's like our, our downtown real estate, really frankly, our city real estate, is being used as pawns in the speculative real really estate game. People it, totally. cannot move in there. Look, let me tell you, you cannot move in and create a viable, profitable business that makes sense for you to invest in, in terms of brick and mortar, which we already know that the demand for brick and mortar is going down, right. okay? Yet the inventory seems to be going up because they're you know revitalizing buildings and building more, and yet, what they're asking for rent-wise is unattainable. It is. Un- Why do you think all of these 
you know, share workplaces have come about because people can't afford to, you know, to to rent anything on their own. A place, you know, a, a thousand square foot spot, building, floor, unit, whatever, in 23220 zip code is going for at least $15 a square foot, mm-hmm. and that's cheap. So that means, you know, $1,500 a month just in the real estate. Most of these, though, are going for $20, $25 a square foot. It literally, you get a 2,000 square foot property, you're talking about $5,000 a month in just rents. People can't afford that. You got to pay staff. You got to pay. I can't understand why people not only, you know, I mean, I would never have paid that for a rental property myself. But that's uh, the going rate because right? of the speculation market. It's mm-hmm. not because that's what it deserves or that's the supply and but the if you want to live near vcu not in vcu housing if you want an apartment that's what you got to pay and like yeah i agree with you a hundred percent like this has to change like that yeah. we can't accept this i also understand why it has been so hard for them to change because there are there's all of these like intertwined things it's sure. like a sweater yeah. somebody wants to pull one thread the whole fucking thing comes apart right um, I mean, as it is now, the things that have been going on in all of the major cities in America, I think are going to make the major cities go back like they were, where people are like, I don't want to live there. Yeah. If this is what can happen in a major city, that everybody could just take to the streets and loot and like make me scared and stuff, I'm going back to the country. You know, yeah, I have to say, though, because <laughs> it, it blows my mind. I've lived in my house for what is this, 13 years now. And forget the riots, the the pandemic. Right. I didn't want to live. In, I, don't, I used to want to live in New York City. I mean, I did for four years, and some part of me has been like, well, one day maybe I'll go back and yeah. live there, and I'll rent this out. And like, I don't want to be stuck someplace like that for a pandemic. I don't want to be stuck someplace like that for a riot. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, what I was gonna say is, as long as I've lived where I've lived, I've always thought this was a possibility. So it kind of blows my mind, and maybe this is where I'm unique and. You know, because even of the nature of what I do, I try to see all, all of the potential outcomes. I've always thought this was a possibility. Yeah. Always. Oh, me it's too. Never... And it's filled me with anxiety. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> For me, I mean, it's just, look, to me, safety is an illusion. Uh, permanence is an illusion. All of these things that we're, we're kind of indoctrinated to think exist and we can rely on, oh, they're right. kind of like illusions. No, we like, have to go on, with, with, like, today I'm not being health, killed. Your, your health, but, right? Oh, right, I'm, it could I'm, go I'm at any time. I'm young and healthy, motherfucker. You could die, yeah. You could get you, hit by a car. You could be fooling around. It's true. Yet, yet, you know, because I grew up with the possibility that somebody could break into my house, like, when I moved into this neighborhood, it was a while before... I could sleep well at night because I didn't know what neighborhood I was in. And mm-hmm. I actually was afraid that there'd be a home invasion kind of situation, like what happened to the Harveys, yeah. by the way, which was just, I think we just hit the anniversary of that. You know that story? Yeah, very tragic. And yeah, I mean, that's always a possibility. You know, yeah. of course, police did not protect them. You know, it happened anyway. Yeah. You know, and like that is a thing that can always happen. Just like, but people keep buying land in Florida. Even though the hurricanes, people keep building in San Francisco, even though the earthquakes, you know, keep building in California, mudslides. And if I could present the argument, is that because they feel that the government will come in and rescue them? I think it's because they're in denial. You think so, too? Yeah, I I mean, it's probably a mix. It's always a mix. I think the big thing is that we're always in denial. Like, there's actually a book I haven't read that my idol, Mark Marin, the reason I do a podcast, this guy over here in this picture. He's always talking about this book 
the denial of death, which I haven't read yet. You know, so we live in a d denial of death every day of our lives because we're like, well, if we really like, you know, the general thinking is if we think about that, we wouldn't be able to function. We'd be just seized with fear of our own mortality. Right. Um, the way I use it now is like, man, time's a waste and I'm 50 yeah, years old. I better sure. like live my life. Yeah. But, you know, the vast we, we human beings denying just a river in Egypt, the vast majority of everything that we project and look at it is wrong is it within us it is an aspect mm -hmm. of denial you know um i don't know if you saw my post about the bad piece of pie and the whole pie you know but like a friend of mine had said in, in as it pertains to an individual you can't say i'm a good person if there's some part of you a piece of this pie that's not good right you know there's not a piece of you it's you right you know so you are a whole and if there's this thing in you then that thing needs to be addressed for you to be good, mm -hmm. you know? And that is true of city, state, federal government, sure. you know, of, of any human being, of anybody doing their thing. And I think the biggest crime of m the status quo is that most people do not see that piece of pie as being their problem, mm. that they're gonna eat around it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right. that like, yeah. I, I hate, I didn't cause this, I can't control it, but what I can do is keep trying to make my money. Right. And then, then exactly. you get into this illusion that you're better than those people that live in the bad part of the pie mm -hmm. because, well, if you were bad, you would be there with them. Right. You know, they need to get out of there. You know, they need right. to come over here where the good parts of the, the I, pie I are. I worked my way up, right. you know. <laughs> and, and the th you know, I mean, I mean, we could go on. Like, we're already at two and a half hours sorry. here. <laughs> no, no, this is, like, I mean, nothing to be sorry about. This is a I could talk to you for six hours and like do a whole series because <laughs> I, I think yeah she would not like that. <laughs> um, but it just it just seems to me that there are no fucking easy answers no. and like I, I like to me tyranny comes from easy answers right. and I don't care if the easy an the tyranny is of the left or the right. Sure. You know, like I am not. I don't concern myself with ideology. I concern myself with the tyranny of human beings that want an easy way out and a simple solution and an us or them thing because that's not th that's not the answer. Mm -hmm. we, we flipped the script in many civilizations and all it resulted in was a whole lot of people died and then the people who came to power acted just like the people that mm -hmm. had it before. Right. You know, We don't want a revolution. That's just the turn. That's a fucking 360 degree turn right, right back to where we started. That's what a revolution is, yeah. you know. That's tech, you Literally. know, dictionary definition yeah. of a revolution. Yeah. So what we want is an evolution, sure. you know, where human society does what human beings have done, and it like we learn new skills, <laughs> we we learn new ways of doing things, and we build on the strengths that we have, you know. And maybe that's the conservative that I'm becoming now that I did all my rebelling and. Mm you know, whatever, but like, I don't want people, any human being to be murdered as a result of another murder. I don't want anyone to die. I don't want anyone to be cut off from a food supply of their livelihood in the name of a glorious revolution. Mm -hmm. I've seen, I mean, I've just recently researched into shit I didn't know about, like in China, Chairman Mao and the Great Leap mm -hmm. Forward. Do you know yeah. about this? Yeah. I didn't know about this. Yeah, it's wild. W undeterminate numbers of Chinese people were killed 
by him insisting they go from agrarian to industrial mm -hmm. civilization overnight, yeah. forcing them all to leave their homes and their farms and come to the city and then having no way of feeding them, no structure, nothing. Because mm -hmm. the state cannot create all of that. Right. Like it has to, to some degree, it has to emerge organically. We can, you know, there has to be engineering to aspects sure. of it. But it's kind of like um, we can't make water, but we can make the water go where we want the water to go, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I'm not convinced that leftist ideology is better than conservative ideology because in the hands of people, people still do the same shit. Mm -hmm. So I want to change. I want people to evolve, you know. Sure. The thing is we're stuck with having to teach people every time they're born what we value as modern human beings. Mm -hmm. There's, It's not stuck in our – like some aspect of it might be in our DNA, but like everything I learn, I have a baby, I gotta teach that baby right. all of that. And yeah. and so on it goes, it's like the enlightenment of American culture is not a static thing, it is an ongoing thing, it is an evolving thing. And I think it's the, the supreme paradox and irony, and maybe you and I talked about this on the phone the other day when I called you for help. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate you being there because yeah, you were a great sure. voice of reason to me. Um, the values that we use to say that our society is corrupt mm -hmm. we're born here mm -hmm. <laughs> right. you know they were born here initially only applying to a bunch of white planters they wanted to rebel against uh, the monarchy mm -hmm. in England but they were lively enough ideals that we've been able to adapt them and apply them to many things and they've spread out all over the world you know mm -hmm. now mixed in with the you know the baby in the bathwater thing we've got corruption we've got selfishness but the even the way that we know this is wrong is due to the values that were born here mm -hmm. you know that we've all collaborated to create here we wouldn't know of what racism is if we hadn't developed an aversion to it yeah. here you know we wouldn't have human rights that is a, a like a a relatively recent invention mm -hmm. you know like the idea that people have rights right. you know and that the state doesn't give you your rights the state protects your rights sure. and these are like the education that has made it possible for people to have a problem with shit to be out on the street protesting right now did come from here yeah <laughs> I think you know? you know but honestly I think a lot of it is rooted in this notion again of consumption you know even even what happened hundreds of years ago here was all about consumption, right? Sure. Because it was the consumption at that at that point of resources. We're gonna consume resources, send them. Well, back. why were they doing that? Because they in the old country, you know, things like I mean, they there were no trees left in Scotland. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'd cut them all down and used them all to build houses or mm -hmm. burnt them all. You know, so they started burning peat moss. Right. You know, like that's why scotch tastes like it does because mm -hmm. they didn't have wheat. I mean, they didn't have wood. Right. <laughs> they had to use moss. So yeah. these places were depleted and there were people looking for more. Right. You know, and the solution in Europe had been for, I think, a long time. You get a bunch of able-bodied men together you can't feed, send them on a crusade to the Middle East to fight the so, infidels. So maybe I should rephrase that. Maybe it's not consumption, but rather going back to what I was saying about, you know, the desegregation movement, it's the siphoning of resources. Well, not everybody, you know, not everybody that came here was like the Dutch East India Trading Company, but 
in order for there to be money to come here, there had to be capitalist speculation sure. going on. Even before capitalism existed, people, right. Isabel uh, and Ferdinand, I think the yeah, king and queen I mean, of Spain mm -hmm. invested, or Portugal invested in Mar Columbus mm -hmm. to come over here. But then, you know, a lot of people came over here just for the basics. Like, they just wanted freedom from... Well, maybe that's what it started off as. Some people. But then... There then was always a combo. Into, yeah, I mean... There were pirates. <laughs> there were people over here to sell, you know, grow tobacco and sell tobacco and just get rich. Right. But there were people who came over here just to get away from the crowdedness of England, right. you know, or France or Spain. Not everybody that came here, I guess, is what I'm saying, was driven by a desire to consume. They were just, sure. they wanted their own shit. But once they were know. here, you know, that's, that's kind of what happened. It, you you know, got sucked reverts, into the machine. Reverts back to, you know, we're reading yeah. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right now. And um, what's the kid's name, honey? Edmund? Edmund goes for the Turkish delight. Right. And once he's, you know, he didn't know that's what he wanted. But once he tasted it, holy ish, that's all he could think about was the right. Turkish delight. Because it was poisoned with bad magic, too. Well, it wasn't yeah. real Turkish delight. It was. Yeah, know. probably. I've read that book like five <laughs> times. It was a major book to me as a kid. Yeah, it's it's very it's very pertaining in many ways to kind of what we experience on a human level and in, in real life, you know, and um, did you screw over your own brothers and sisters to, for the treat absolutely. that is being promised to you by the evil queen and, and the feelings know. that were being aroused within him even prior he to was that less point, than yeah, his brother you know his jealousy right Peter was always telling him what to do right, and right, right right so I mean it goes back I mean I, I think kind of goes full circle to how we even started about advertising for example you know we've advertised we spend trillions of dollars every year advertising to people that they need these things you need this you need that consume this consume that and then when it's unattainable to them, there's this sense of like, oh no, oh no, I need, what can I do to get this? So we go in debt, you know, or, or we steal. Right, so. We, so. So we talk about, okay, well, what, you know, what, what are things that need to change for us to evolve? Like maybe we need to learn to be a little more self-sustainable, for example. Well, it's, I think and, it's exactly the thing that I had to learn as an addict. Sure. You know, that like, first of all, I was being sold a bill of goods, right. either externally or by myself, or I got some misapprehensions about what my value as a person was and then how I was supposed to feel. You know, I definitely got indoctrinated into drinking alcoholically by pop culture, like watching 80s movies where people did beer bongs and mm. shotgun beers and yeah. all of that. And, and I took it for granted that that was rebellious behavior, mm -hmm. but it was actually conformist behavior that was being sold to me as prepackaged mm -hmm. rebellion yeah. because I'm actually buying a product right. that people, and I mean, I'm not interested in what people, like the, the vast majority of people I see in this town who call themselves woke, you know, that are middle class, like college students are still spending all the money they have to enrich the people that own Anheuser-Busch. Right. They're spending all their money on beer and they're calling that freedom. Right. And they're not even realizing that they've been totally fucking hypnotized into, into buying this. And it's mm -hmm. like, yes, you have the luxury of drinking beer, but do you not see that you have bought in to an identity? Mm -hmm. So I think rather than say the people selling the beer have to go away, we gotta wake up to the fact that every, if we're asleep, we're going to be somebody's you know, punk, we're going to be somebody's sucker. 
You know, there's yeah. a sucker born every minute, as P.T. Right. Barnum said a long time ago. Yeah. So each individual person has to wake up from that illusion. There's nothing wrong with the marketplace. What's wrong is the unconscious way that we interact with it. But I would disagree you know? because especially now that we consider businesses as individuals, right? Right. Which we always then, have. Right. I mean, so right. then so then they need to be awake, too, and stop. You know, they need to. And it's happening. We have. I read at the beginning of the year there were over 200 CEOs of major, you know, Fortune 500 companies who said things have to change from what they are right now. This is not a sustainable way to do business. The right. way we're doing business right now is not sustainable. So we talk about, you know, the burden of responsibility, I suppose, is kind of what we're discussing at this point. Yes, it relies on the individual as a consumer, but it absolutely relies on the marketplace as well. But the marketplace Absolutely. is, as you said, every, everything's connected. So, sure. or get like, and Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson said this very poetically. He said, we're all connected to each other biologically, to the earth chemically, and to the universe atomically. Mm -hmm. It's that you and I are absolutely made up of stardust, you know, otherwise known as carbon. Right. But we are all connected chemically um, to each other, right? Mm -hmm. Organically, bio biologically, excuse mm -hmm. me. You know, we all eventually originally had the same parents, mm -hmm. you know. So first we have to, we have to acknowledge that, right. you know, that this, this difference is an illusion, that we're, we're all the same. But then we also have to acknowledge that what the marketplace is, is an organic thing that has grown out of human beings and it is all connected. So there are aspects of it that have been allowed to become really messed up. It's like, like, I think basically big business people have been allowed through things that they thought were going to be beneficial that have turned out to be non-beneficial sure. to dam up all the water so that they got all the water, right. you know. And you and I are both 100% in agreement that it is no longer acceptable that if you can't pay people a living wage, you know, then you can't be rich, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Like, you just can't. Like, that has to change, mm -hmm. you know. Like you, you cannot get that rich, you know, you have to, if, if being that rich means you're paying people, you know, I don't know what the hell a living wage is, but like, you know, $7, $8 an hour, like that's absurd. Like, you know, I mean, at the same time, you can't say that every, every job is worth every single job at an organization is worth a, the money that would support a family of four. You know, there are definitely some tweaks I think that have to be made there, but they, People have changed laws in ways that they thought were going to benefit the economy, and they actually just benefited a few individuals. I mean, but did they? Did they really think it was going to change the economy? I mean, I don't know because I I could argue. You look at you look at well, how like Wall NAFTA, Street the North Atlantic Free Trade, you know, agreement, which meant that there are no tariffs from Canada to Mexico. Like anybody like that's part of North America gets to do commerce in North America without tariff, without penalty, whatever. So then all the manufacturing moves to Mexico because it's cheaper right. to do business in Mexico and you don't have to pay any penalties for that. Mm -hmm. So it was good for Mexico, but it was very bad for America because people lost their jobs here because they moved them to Mexico. But I think there were definitely people <laughs> that were just like, this is gonna be great for me, I get cheap labor in Mexico. Right, right. But I think there were also people who thought, well, this will be great for Mexico's economy and <laughs> like really thought they were doing something good for them, but they didn't realize, you know, that they were taking something away. There's, there's always unintended consequences. Right. And I guess my, 
you know, my thought process is always, well, if a CEO is supposed to have contingency plans, how have they not also thought about unintended consequences? But if it benefits them directly and, and them and, and their shareholders are all that matters, then so be it. You know, that, that's the kind of the flaw in, in who a business serves. My business serves my, my shareholder, my stakeholder, and that definition has evolved drastically since right. the 60s. Well, we're back to what you're just talking about with buying a house and charging a shitload of rent. Right. So that it comes down to it's about the person who has the capital to buy the house so they can then restrict access to living situations because they're in it to make a profit and that's all they care about right. like they're not trying to live in the neighborhood they're trying not to, they're not trying to build community they just got together some people and they were like man we, we can make more money off of our money by doing this and there's no nothing there's no law against doing it so let's do it you know right. and i mean the same and i'm just playing devil's advocate sure, with this yeah, shit yeah, because yeah, i, I agree with you a hundred percent and and i know that's a dangerous thing because it's like at this at this point in time an intelligent person like me who could be helping people spending all their fucking time on semantics is, you know, that's been my downfall is like, nobody's saying the message. Like I, like I agree with it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not on anybody's team. I'm just mm -hmm. standing over here like a right. conscientious obje yeah, <laughs> objector and I'm not helping tough. anybody, you know, that's not and, true. I think dialogue is very helpful, you know? So maybe, maybe your contribution might feel like it's not there, but it's it's happening, right? Because dialogue is powerful. When you know you said each one teach one, dialogue is very powerful. And I love playing devil's advocate. Devil's advocate is how I came to have the philosophy that I have today. I mean, I was raised like listening to Rush Limbaugh, and you know, again, I told you, evangelical Christian speaking in tongues. Right. And then it was like, wait, hold up, let me start doing some, you know, questioning here and playing devil's advocate. And going down these rabbit holes of what does conservatism mean? How is it actually, how does that translate to legislation and economy? And it was like, wait, hold on. It, it doesn't. It's not, it's, it does, that doesn't even exist. Conservatism in economics is, is a fallacy in America. It does, it's not even a thing. It's all, there's no free market. You know what I'm saying? Like things that, worrying about the debt. Nobody fucking cares about the debt anymore. All the Trump supporters I know, when they're like, oh, the, Look, we're in a pandemic. There's riots in the street, and, and our, our stock market's still fantastic. And you're like, well, what about the debt? Oh, well, there's always going to be debt. Okay, well, we're just going to play the that game, you know? Right. And so it's it's you have to play devil's advocate, and you have to have these dialogues and discussing these complex issues and, first of all, acknowledging that they're complex when you have a myriad of people who want to make them very simplistic is very very beneficial in my opinion um you know even if it just brings clarity to ourselves to make us more productive and more loving and more accepting you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying um yeah, yeah and to recognize our our shared humanity and yeah. all of us because that is ultimately the goal and that means you have to recognize the shared humanity and people you don't like and For you don't sure. agree with you can't just i mean this is my tough. feeling about yeah. it you can't like Again, that's making bad pie again. That's mm -hmm. making bad pieces of pie. If the bad pieces of pie are the Proud Boys or the, the white guys that are out, they're still part of this country, right. and we can't eat around them either, and we also can't kill them all. But what, so if, they, what if instead of a know. pie it was just a basket of fruit? And okay, you had one rot rotten. And you had rotten fruit, and the rotten fruit likes to attach itself to other rotten fruit or other you know fruit that 
could be easily rotted. Well, you can and throw away an apple, but, but not, you can't throw away a human being. But no, not even <laughs> that. I'm saying you can create distance. Yeah. You know, and that's what, you know, we talk about the energy bubble. Your energy bubble could be that, you know, that distance, right? Like, so, I mean, I, I think the pie is a great analogy, but I would actually suggest instead of looking at it as a pie and eating around, look at it, at it as we're a basket of, of produce mm-hmm. and there's going to be some rotten ones or, you know, shit, make it, make it. It's a, but you know how they say it's the one bad apple spoils the whole bushel, but that's only know? if it reaches it. But that's the idea is that they're spoils. in a bushel and like we're, I it mean, will everything spoils. So if you want to, if you want to really, right. If you want to, if you want to tear this metaphor to shreds, exactly. but I, what I'm trying to say is like, I, I don't think I can afford to say anyone is them. I, I want to say we're all us, you know, like human race, one us. I think we know? are. I personally think we're working towards that. Yeah, yeah. That's the, th- that's the that's right. That's the only goal that resonates with me, because if it's if it's like if to be on your side, I have to hate anybody. Right. Count me out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and like, I guess that means I'm going to get ground under the wheels of this revolution, yeah. too. Because I'm not going along with the orthodoxy. Well, it goes back to it's acceptance. It's this or right? that. It goes back know? to acceptance. Like I, you know, I was telling Cleve earlier today, like I've got this one buddy that I worked with years and years ago when I was in college and I worked at Flooring America. And, you know, my philosophies back then were quite different than what they are today. Needless to say, I've changed. He hasn't necessarily. He, ha- he has views that are very different from mine. And yet we can have really awesome conversation, even though like, you know, we don't see eye to eye. I can respect and understand and well, acknowledge. Well, doesn't it help you understand your own position better to understand sure. somebody else's? But, yeah. but we have that mutual respect in which, you know, we know one of us is going to, you know, quote unquote, be wrong because, you know, we have opposing views a lot of the time. So are the statues going to stay up or come down? Well, one of us is going to be, quote unquote, wrong somebody's gonna lose you know but right. yeah we're, one of us is gonna be the loser but we understand each other's you know reasoning to have gotten to that point and it's always very respectful you know and i and it's like i told cleve like i really appreciate that like i don't want a bunch of attaboys and girls on my team like if you're agreeing with everything i have to say one of us is then superfluous get away from me <laughs> yeah. you know like i want somebody to challenge my narrative and challenge my belief system and challenge my reasoning because that's how we grow and that and when we grow in that way we can embrace more humanity you know yeah. what i'm saying like we're I able say to absolutely and that's what i want i want um like my dad and i disagreed a lot my dad used to say he'd introduce me to people like this is my son you know he's basically to the left of npr you know <laughs> and like oh, and like but he you know and i never understood like like I, I'm like you, I, you raised me in this house with NPR on in every room. He just liked the classical music. That's funny. Um, but like you know, we we in action were basically liberals. You yeah. know, like living in in Churchill and all that kind of stuff. But when it came around to my dad and Philip Morris, who he worked for for 35 years, and uh, the Clinton administration going after the tobacco industry, yeah. he became conservative. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like. I'm not voting for the people that are taking away my livelihood. And it's very hard for anybody to be the eggs that need to get broken to make the omelet. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the big resistance Mm -hmm. to whether it's environmental change or anything. 
to say that people don't want it because they hate other people or they don't love people or they hate the planet or whatever, it's like, no, that's not true. It's just that they are 100% dependent on the way it is now. <laughs> and for it to change means they have to find another way of making a living. And yes, it's easy for people who don't have anything going on to say that. Right. When I didn't have a goddamn pot to piss in, it was easy for mm -hmm. me to say what everything needs to change right. and whatever. And then when I invested, <laughs> then I'm dependent upon an eco a, a economy, you know, I mean, my, my money comes from restaurants being open, right? You know, I work for restaurant Depot, which is a wholesaler and restaurants close restaurant Depot starts making less money than, then I'm probably one of the first things to go. Cause I'm just in marketing, right. you know, and I got to give it to them. They kept us all working mm -hmm. and they figured out a way and and I honestly, I think it was kind of a beautiful way because it was a combination of practical and helpful to other people. We opened to the public, you know, which is usually a, a membership-based right. thing and you had to be a business and they, they figured it out. And I was wor like, I'm worried about what how this is going to affect me. <laughs> like, right. how can I keep working? And then I'm worried about that with the riots. And so I'm being conservative because I want to conserve order because it's, directly in you know impacting whether or not I can pay my mortgage right. or not but when you don't have anything then you have nothing, you have nothing to lose, to lose. Right, but like right. we have a tension between those two concerns you know yeah. and I mean I've seen a lot of people posting up like all of you in Carytown who didn't board your windows up we see you and those you did board your windows up you're bad like because you didn't trust us to protest in Carytown without rioting well, those people are just responding to what they saw happen downtown. Yeah. You can't fault them for that. Like, it's not like they're not they're not against protesting. They're against rioting. Those right. are not the same thing. Right. Yeah. I've, you know, it's funny. Everything's so I've fucking dualistic. <laughs> it's not. And there you have it. Our numero trace of Curtis and Ashley figuring it out, solving all the world's problems. I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm gonna. I got some more stuff lined up. I got people coming over. I'm getting consistent about this promise. I keep telling myself I shouldn't even mention the fact that I go so long between podcasts. It's not like you don't know, but uh, I keep feeling like. But my excuses ring hollow. I've been making them since 2016, maybe earlier 2015. So I better just shut up and put up, put up some podcasts. So, you guys, rolling up on Halloween. Boo! Did I scare you? It's coming next weekend. This should be up the Thursday before Halloween. And I, uh, I'm i going to go camping. I'm going to go up in the woods and conduct some druidic rituals in the woods and eat special fungus that grow out of the ground and came from space to expand your consciousness. Or just open up doors in your consciousness that you closed with your ruminations. You gotta check out that book, How to Free Your Mind. I'm my man, Michael Pollan. It's good stuff. You gotta slap yourself out of the demon. Slap the demon out of your head, the default mode network. Call that demon. And that's what it means to be listening to your demons. Your anxious demons and your depressed demons. It's just... It's just some fucking shit stuck on a track. You gotta make your shit jump the track. And get in some fresh, get on a fresh road in your brain. 
You know, you ski and hit the fresh powder where the new ideas and new perceptions and new realities exist. You know, you know what I'm saying? Try it. Just might learn something. All right, y'all. Until next time. Adios. Namaste, my motherfuckers.